And if you would, while they're making their way out, grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 3 through 13. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 13. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, For a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I talked last week, we we looked at those first two verses of chapter 12, and we talked about how the life of faith, the, the Christian life, is a life which is much like a marathon. It's a life that requires sustained or prolonged strenuous effort. And we, we saw how we're called then to strip everything away, to find encouragement from past saints, and then to look to Jesus and, and to persevere in this race that we're running, this life of faith that we're living. But, but I think the question for us has to be, why is the life of faith so difficult? Why is it a struggle? Why is the life of faith, the life of being a Christian, why is it like a marathon that, that we have to have this strenuous, prolonged effort? Why is it that we go through trials? Why is it that we must endure through suffering? Why, why is it that God puts our faith to the test through things like persecution and health crises and through the loss of friendships, through financial struggles, through wayward children, through ongoing struggles with temptation, through, through being misunderstood and maligned, through pandemics and presidential elections, through the death of loved ones and through disappointments of all kinds. Why is the Christian life such that we must persevere this kind of strenuous effort that, that we talked about? Well, we could answer the, that, that question really with, with a single word. The reason why is sin. You see in verse number four, it, it really answers that question. He says in verse number four, in your struggle against sin. You see, the, the reason we go through the things that we are, are going through is because of our sin. We are involved in a struggle against sin. 
we see in verses three through four that this struggle really identifies us with, with Christ, which is an, ama- an amazing thing to, to think about. You see in verse number three, he says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So here he's talking about the suffering of Christ and he says, consider way, look, uh, we, we saw last week how we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, but, but here we're to consider him, consider what he has gone through. And then in verse four, he says, now, now weigh that, if you will, against your struggle of sin. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. You see the connection there. Uh, he's identifying or connecting the struggle that we go through and the difficulties we go through with the suffering of Christ. And that's, that's a basic principle of the New Testament. We've talked about it many times, and I don't want to labor this because it's not the main point, but, but it's simply this. When we express faith in Jesus Christ, when we profess faith in Him and trust in Him, when we become believers, we become identified with Jesus Christ in such a, a way that is what is true about Christ is what? It's true about us. I've said it several times, so hopefully you're, you're picking up what is true about Christ when we believe in him becomes true about us. So the fact that Christ was righteous, that becomes true about us. His righteousness is imputed to us as a gift when we, when we believe. All of the inheritance, we become, the Bible says, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The inheritance that Christ has gained through his obedient life of righteousness is is imputed to us as well. We get eternal life. We get home in heaven. We get the riches of God bestowed upon us. But listen, this is true as well. It's not only the blessings, but, but also the suffering. When we identify with Jesus Christ, yes, his righteousness becomes ours. Yes, the blessings of God. in Christ become ours but also the suffering that Christ endured becomes our suffering you see we identify him he was against sin he had a struggle against sin he had a, 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 a battle against sin and we come to share that same battle you, you see we're aligning ourselves with Christ and since he was against sin we are against sin as well John tells us in 1 John that Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. He, he had an enemy. He had a purpose. And so when we believe in him, we come to, to share in, in that. Now, you notice this identification is, is not perfect, is it? That is, you see a little bit of a distinction. Although he, he connects our struggle against sin and, and the suffering of Christ against sin, but, but you notice the, the difference in verse number 3. It says, consider him who endured from sinners. You see, Christ's struggle with sin was a sin that was outside of him. The Bible is clear, and the book of Hebrews has been clear, that that he had no sin. There was no struggle within him with sin. But when he came to this sinful world, he had a struggle against sinful people. And that's ultimately what led to his crucifixion. And then in verse 4, you notice, he says, in your struggle against sin. So his struggle is against sinners. Your struggle is against sin. And really, listen, this morning, believer, the biggest problem for you is not the sinful world out there. That's not the biggest source of conflict and problems in your life. The the biggest source of problems and struggle in your life is the sin within you. It's a struggle against your own sin. And so we see then, if we're to ask 
ourselves the question, why is it that the life of faith is a life of suffering and a life of difficulty? The, the answer is because of our sin. And, and more precisely, we can see in verse number seven, it is God's discipline in our life because of our sin. So you see in verse number seven, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as son. So we have this sin within us. We've identified with Christ and against our sin, but now we have sin within us. And so God is disciplining his children in order to rid our lives of that sin. He is purifying his children. He's working to to get rid of sin out of your life. And that's why you and I are enduring the suffering that we endure as as Christians. Why? Why is it a life of strenuous effort? Why are there trials? Why are there difficulties? The answer is God is disciplining his children. He's disciplining you and he's disciplining me. Well, we want to look at this text this morning and there are four truths that we see in this text, four truths about discipline. And I'm actually going to work kind of backwards. I'm going to go to the end and then work back to to the first part of these verses. But the, the first truth about discipline is this. Discipline is for our good. Discipline is for our good. We we could really recognize that discipline is kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? We're tempted to believe, I think, two lies about discipline because they seem at first glance to to really make sense to us. Just our sort of our our gut reaction when we go through these things. Our, Our gut reaction is, number one, to think, this is not good for me. Why am I going through this? Why am I suffering? This isn't good why, why would God allow me to go through this trial or this difficulty? It's not good. That's the first lie that we believe. It's not good for me. And second, then, we, we begin to think this. The, the person who is subjecting me to this does not love me. Well, if God is letting me go through this and this is not good, he's letting me go through it, then, then God must not love me. Well, this passage actually combats both of those false notions. It declares this, first of all, discipline is for our good. It is good for us. It's, it's a necessary and good thing for us in our lives. And secondly, then, discipline is an act of God's love for us. Far from being some, some sign that God hates us or an act of destruction from an enemy, discipline is an act of love from our Heavenly Father. So you see why I say discipline when we think about it, really what it teaches here is really counterintuitive because it doesn't seem that way at first glance when we're going through it. Discipline is good. Discipline does not seem good when it's happening, does it? But that's exactly what verse 11 tells us. Look at verse number 11. For the moment, in the moment of discipline, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. When you're walking through it, you don't think, this is great, this is wonderful for me, I, I'm so happy this is happening to me. This, this is just the exactly what I needed what was this financial crisis and God to lead me into this. Or this is exactly what I needed was, was to have some, some health crisis that I would have to go through. We don't think that way. It doesn't seem pleasant, it seems painful, but the reality is that it really is good. I'm sure, maybe there's an exception to this, but but I doubt very seriously that there's ever been a, a young child 
when, they're, when one of their parents are, are disciplining them and they're thinking, this is wonderful. My father loves me. He's shaping and molding my character for the future so that I will be a mature, well-adjusted adult. And, and I will be a, a virtuous person with, with high morals. Children don't think that way, do they, in, in the moment of, di- of discipline? I, I think that would probably be a, a pretty rare exception if that ever occurred. You know, when, when, when players on the football team are, are running up and down the steps for hours in August in, in, in when it's conditioning time, most of those players are thinking, I think the coach hates me, and I'm not sure if he hates me, but I know I hate him. And this is not good for me. I, I don't want to do that. And, and many of them are probably thinking, I, I really should just quit the team. I, I wanted to be on this team to be the star and to run and do, do these great things. But this coach just has us running, right? Or, or when the doctor tells you, you can't eat certain foods anymore. You got to get rid of that. You can't eat all those sweets or you got to get rid of those high fatty foods. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like the doctor is really expressing his care for you. But, but in reality, we know that it is the case. Painful things can only be considered good if in the final calculation, that was the necessary path to something better. Painful things. And we just saw discipline is painful, isn't it? But, but painful things can only be considered good if in the final calculation that was the necessary path to something better. You see, we, we don't go through discipline just for the fun of it, right? We already saw it's painful rather than pleasant. Why would you restrict your diet unless there's a, 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 a good that can come about only through that path, right? The, the coach... That, that makes his players run. Uh, he, he's not doing that just because he gets kicks out of watching all these kids run till they throw up, right? He's doing that because that's the necessary path to having a well-conditioned team, right? And we discipline our children not because we hate them or, or, or not because we get some kind of sick joy out of having authority and, and using it in that way. We discipline our children because that is the necessary pathway to getting mature, well-behaved, virtuous, moral children, right? That, that's the only pathway to get there. And so because that's the only way to, pathway to get there, then we recognize that it is good. It's the necessary pathway. Because of this reality then, discipline though painful is necessary and good. And listen, this is true. This is true in in any endeavor that you go into. Is there anything that you want to excel in that doesn't require discipline? Now, as you mature and grow, hopefully you can discipline yourself. You can be self-disciplined, right? But, But any good thing any anything that's worthwhile in life, any kind of achievement or accomplishment comes through the pathway of discipline. And that is true for your spiritual growth as well. It's the necessary pathway. You will not grow in your faith. You, you will not become more like Christ. You will not become more spiritually mature unless you go through the pathway of discipline. It's, it's the necessary pathway pathway notice here in verse number seven it it only seems painful for the moment 
You notice that, don't you? It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. We saw that it does seem painful, right? But it only seems so for the moment. As we reflect back on these illustrations, I keep coming back to, you know, that when you're in August and you're running and conditioning for the football team, it seems painful. But, but when you're standing at the end of the season and you've won the state title, you're basking in the joy of, of that process that brought you to this moment. Children who, when they're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, are, are rolling their eyes at their parents and, and sort of resentful at, at some of the discipline of their parents, when, when those same children often uh, become adults and they mature, th- they celebrate the fact that their parents instilled in them certain virtues and, and, and certain things like a work ethic and, and doing things the right way through that pathway of endurance. So, so it seems painful in the moment, but as we begin to look back and reflect on where we are now and how this process of discipline has, has brought us to a good place, we can look back with it and say, it was good. I'm glad my parents didn't let me do everything I wanted to do. I'm glad they would snatch me up by the head sometime and say, you're not going to act that way. Other kids might act that way. Other kids might be doing that, but you are not going to do that. And, and, and I'm, I'm thankful, you know, what, if you've been on a sports team, you're thankful at the end of the season, right? And you've, you've had a successful season. You're thankful for all those suicides that you were running in basketball practice because you were far better conditioned than the other teams and that allowed you to be able to win those games, right? And so it seems painful for the moment. But when we come to the end of the process, we recognize the goodness of it. So it is with the discipline that God puts us through. It seems painful for the moment, but you notice here it says that it yields, in verse number 11, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We thank the Lord. We we embrace and we celebrate God's discipline in our life even though it seems painful for the moment because later it yields something good. And we recognize that. You know, the Christian who has matured actually comes to appreciate and embrace the discipline of God in their life. You know, when you when you're first a, uh, become a Christian and you go through these trials and you're kicking and screaming and you think, why would God put us through this? You're like the players, like, I'm ready to quit. I don't even want to be on the team anymore, right? Th- those are the things that are going through our mind. But as you mature, a- as you grow, you come to recognize this is good. I, I wouldn't have chosen this on my own. I wouldn't want to walk through this dark valley. I wouldn't want to go through this suffering. But this is good because I know my heavenly Father is working something good in me. He, he, he's molding me. He's shaping me. He's maturing me. He's helping me to grow. And so the Christian who recognizes this actually can begin to embrace and appreciate the discipline of God in their life. In fact, James chapter 2 or James chapter 1 says this. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That word perfect means mature. Listen, you should count it joy 
when you enter into all different kinds of trials. You know why? Because your heavenly Father is perfecting you. He's maturing you. He's working a process into you. And He's bringing you to a point where you will recognize that this was good. So so even though it's difficult, even though it's trying, when you're in the middle of that, you can count it as joy. Yes, there's joy mixed with sorrow. Yes, there's weeping. Yes, there are tears. Yes, there's a struggle. Yes, you must endure. Uh, Nobody loves running suicides when you're right in the middle of it. But you love what it produces. And so so you enter into that with a willingness to, to do that because you know what it's doing in your life. And so it is with the trials that God puts us through. We wouldn't choose it. We recognize there's difficulty and sadness and sorrow. But we willingly submit and enter into it because we know what God is doing, so we count it as joy. One of the things, in fact, that will help you greatly mature in your Christian life is when you begin to recognize the hand of our Heavenly Father behind our trials, and when we start asking ourselves immediately as we enter in, we know God's at work, we know this is God, right? So often we're like, I don't know why this is happening. Well, I'll tell you, it's God, God has brought it. He's in control of your life. He's the one who appointed this. And I'll tell you what he's doing. He's disciplining you. He's growing your faith. So you don't have to ask the why question anymore. The why question has been answered right here. He's disciplining you. He's working in your life. And so one of the things that can help your maturity is when you just stop asking the why question all the time and and you begin to say what instead of why. What is God teaching me right now? I know it's God. I know God is disciplining me. I know he's my loving heavenly father. He's called me into this moment. What is he trying to teach me? How is he trying to grow me in this moment? Where is my faith weak? Where where is there sin in my life that needs to be corrected and repented of? And when we begin to quickly just ask those questions instead of the why question, I think it will help us grow Guthrie says this on on this passage, it is because men do not naturally recognize the need for discipline that they lose courage when punished. They cannot see the long-term benefits nor the concern of God over them. You see those two lies? They can see, cannot see the long-term benefits. This, This is not good for me. And then therefore, because they don't see that, nor the concern of God over them. We should celebrate God's discipline in our life because of what it does. And there, there are three things in this text, three fruits of, of this discipline. In verse number nine, we see the first one. He says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? You, you see, when we're subjected to the discipline of God, it brings about life. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm disciplining my children, one of the things that I'm thinking about is just how fragile this life is and how foolishness can so quickly bring life to an end, right? You hear stories all the time about young people who are doing foolish things and and they destroy someone else's life or they destroy their own life. And so that's often in the back of my mind, like I need to discipline my children so that they don't go out and do something foolish. I, I can't always be with them. I can't always protect them. I can't always be right there to make every decision for them. But I can discipline them now in such a way that they will act with wisdom and a wisdom that would preserve their life. 
And that's what God is doing for us. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. When God is disciplining you, He's taking you off of that path of death. The path of sin is a path of death. He's taking you off of that path and He's putting you back on the path that leads to life again and again and again. That's what His discipline is doing. He's saying, no, no, you're you're headed down that way to destruction. Don't go that way. Come this way. When we're subject to the discipline of God, the fruit of that is life. And so we celebrate it. Praise the Lord that God doesn't let you and me just continue down the path of our wickedness because it leads to hell. It leads to eternal condemnation. Thank God He doesn't let us go down that path. The second fruit and the reason that we celebrate is that that God's discipline produces holiness within us. Look at verse number 10. For they disciplined us, talking about our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. You see, God through His discipline is imprinting His His character on you. He is He's holy. And, and just as we, we as fathers and, and parents that you say, I, I want my children to have the same virtues. I, I want them to embrace the, uh, the same principles that I embrace. And so I, I discipline them w- with an end of, of trying to sort of put my imprint on them, so to speak. And that's what God is doing with us. We, we're to be holy, the Bible says, be holy as the Lord is holy. That's what we're called to do. We're to be like God in that way, that we are set apart from sin. And so when God disciplines us, verse number 10 says He's doing so that we may share in His holiness. He's putting His imprint upon us. He's working that character in us. And that's a wonderful thing because verse number 14 says if we don't have that holiness, we will not see the Lord. Who's going to heaven? Who's going to see the Lord? Well, His children. Well, who are his children? Those who share his character, those who share his nature, his holiness. The third fruit. Not only is it holiness, but the third is this. It, it, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Look at verse number 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline brings righteousness and righteousness brings peace. You see, righteousness is living life rightly according to God's principles, according to God's standards. And when you live life the right way, there's a peace that comes with that. It's all through the Old Testament, all through the book of Proverbs, all through the Psalms. And and I think that's what it's alluding to here as as well. There's a, a, a peacefulness to life that comes when you live it according to God's righteous standards. And so that is another fruit that God produces in our life. And so we celebrate discipline. God is is correcting us. God God is creating holiness within us. He's guiding us on the path of righteousness that will produce peace in our life. So celebrate it. Rejoice. Count it all joy, as the Apostle James says. Count it all joy when you enter into these trials. Because you recognize Discipline is good. Now, I said there were four points, and you're thinking, whoa. But that's the main point. And and there are three other points that we see here that we'll move through quickly. The second is this. 
Discipline is a demonstration of God's love. And now you see, hopefully, why I'm working backwards. Because in order for us to recognize that discipline is an act of love, we first have to recognize that discipline is good. Because discipline is only good if it is, or or discipline is only an act of love if it is good. Once we have established the goodness of discipline, we are in a position to appreciate that it is indeed an act of love. When we walk through difficult seasons, painful trials, etc., our gut response often is to think, God has forgotten me. God does not love me. God does not care about me. Why would he let me go through this? And what you need to do is flip that upside down, and you need to recognize the fact that God is drawing you through those things rather than be a, a sign that he does not love or care for you is actually a sign that he does love and care for you, the exact opposite of, of, of sort of our intuitive way of thinking about it is true. Discipline is a sign of God's love. It's an unmistakable sign that we are God's children and that he loves us. Look, look, this is one of the main points that we see here. Look at verse five. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. You see, the reason you experience this discipline is because you're God's son, because we're God's children. If you weren't children, he goes on to say in in, in verse 7, if you weren't children, or verse 8, you wouldn't be experiencing this discipline. But the very fact that you are children is why you are experiencing that discipline. Verse number 6 tells us, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So not only is discipline a sign of, of, of God's of our sonship, but it's a sign of God's love for us. And as we saw then in verses 7 and 8, that no discipline is actually a sign that there is no relationship. We're not children of God. No discipline is actually a sign that God's love has not been set on us in in that kind of way. And we all know this to be true, right? When when we see children, and just imagine that you're out at a store and you see children just running through 10, 11, 12 years old, tearing things apart. And you you see one child take something and and shoplift it, stick it under his shirt. And then later you go outside and you see these same young children smoking outside beside the store and getting into all kinds of trouble. You just recognize in that moment, right, that their parents are not loving them well. That That's problematic. If, If their parents love them as they ought, then they would they would not allow them to be participating in this. They would be disciplining their children in some way. And I don't want to get off down the road, but this is really one of the great problems of our society uh, is that, that parents and especially fathers have neglected to discipline and to care for their children in this way. God is not that kind of parent. God is a, a faithful parent who disciplines, he's a faithful father, who disciplines his children. If you are his child, you will experience his discipline. And notice here that God is not just any kind of father. God is the perfect father. I think we could all probably remember back and reflect on our childhood and remember times when we were disciplined unfairly. You know, your parents were just in a bad mood that day. And so you got into, into trouble or maybe, maybe they just weren't fair with how they disciplined you, right? Maybe they had one child that they preferred over another. Whatever is the case, that is not true when it comes to the Lord. God is our perfect father. Look at verse number nine. Besides this, 
we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us. That is our earthly fathers. They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. And we can even appreciate that, right? We know my parents were not perfect. And, and certainly if you're a parent, you know, I don't always discipline perfectly. But, but we can appreciate that nevertheless, that our parents did discipline us. Like that's a good thing, even though it was imperfect. They, they did it as it seemed best to them. But it's not so when it comes to our Heavenly Father. He always disciplines us, it says here. He disciplines us for our good. Everything that God calls you through, every act of discipline that God puts you through in your life is for your good. God doesn't make a mistake. God doesn't just get irritated with you one day like we get irritated with our children and and blow up on on his children and have to come back later and say, I'm sorry, you know, that was maybe maybe too much, right? No, no, no. When God disciplines us, he always measures it out perfectly and it always has the intention of good in our lives. Never. As, is it ever for our bad? In this way, we could say, we, we could just recognize that, that, that God's discipline is not punitive. It, it is corrective. He never disciplines us because He's irritated with you. Every corrective act is one of perfect love designed to bring about your good or to bring about good in your life. Third, we see that discipline then must be faithfully endured. It's good. Discipline is good for you. It's an act of love from our Heavenly Father, and therefore we must endure discipline. You notice here there are a couple of wrong responses to discipline. First of all, we can grow weary and faint-hearted. When we're going through discipline, when we're going through these trials that God puts us through, we can grow weary and faint-hearted. And that's what he's saying not to do. Look at verse number 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary and faint-hearted. Don't, don't give up. Don't be like the football player who in August when they're going through conditions like I'm done, I'm checking out, I'm bouncing. I, don't, I didn't sign up for this. I wanna, I'm talking to my mom and dad and I'm quitting the team. Right? That's the way many of us respond when we go through trials. We're like, God must not love me. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why this is happening. And I just want to quit. I'm going to stop going to church. I'm not going to pray. I'm I'm just walking away because I don't I don't think God even cares for me. No, don't grow weary. Don't grow faint-hearted. Recognize God's doing something good, and this is an act of his love, and therefore I'm going to endure through it. I'm going to push through it. The second wrong response is that we would regard it lightly. Look at verse number five. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. This this word here, to regard lightly, it means to treat it with contempt or to hate it, to, to despise it. And we all know, if we just reflect on our relationship with our children, we understand what's being said here. Right? You, you have children who just go through it. Sure, they endure the, 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 the discipline, but they hate every moment of it. They're like, okay, mom, keep giving me this lecture. So as, as soon as you get done talking, I'm going to just continue doing what I want to do. 
They, they, don't, they don't submit to the discipline, right? They don't submit to the correction. Instead, they're rolling their eyes and thinking, I hate every moment of this and I can't wait to get back to what I was already doing. So this is what he's saying. Don't roll your eyes at God's discipline. Don't grow weary and faint-hearted, but, but also don't, don't grow hard-hearted under it either. Don't, don't think, you know, I'm just going to persist in doing what I'm doing. I know God's trying to get my attention. I, I know God is trying to correct me and to try to bring me back on this path of life, but, but I'm just going to do what I want to do. I don't care about this discipline. That's what he's warning against. So the right response is to endure. And we see this in verses 3 and 7. Don't give up. Don't, don't despair. That's what he's calling us to. We must endure, but we must also submit to it. We must submit to it. Look at verse number 9. He says that we should be subject to the Father of lights. In verse number 11, he's, he talks about those who have been trained by this discipline. And, and that whole idea to be trained by it means that you've submitted to it, that, that what God's intention was in, in that discipline has actually come to fruition. You, you have obeyed God. You have responded in the proper way. You've been trained by His discipline. But then I really love verses 12 and 13, right? Because we get, we get an answer to both, both of these wrong responses. He says, therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. You're going through some discipline. You're growing weary and faint-hearted. Come on, get it together. Buck up. Let's go. Let Be strengthened. Endure. Press on. That's what he's calling us to. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Don't allow this difficulty in your life to cause you to just faint or, or to cause you to cast away your faith. Press on in the faith. Don't quit. But then verse 13, we see a word to the other temptation. And make straight paths for your feet so that you may, so what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. In other words, get on the right path. Don't grow weary and faint-hearted in this and give up your faith. But, but don't, also don't persist in doing the sinful things that are bringing God's discipline in your life. Get on the right path. Walk in the right way so that God can restore you and, and heal you. That, that's the goal. He, he, again, he's not doing this just because he's vindictive. He, he's not doing this just to be punitive. He's seeking to correct you and to bring you back in the right way and therefore get on the right path so that you may be healed. Our final point this morning is that discipline pales in comparison to Jesus' suffering. Come back to verse 3. I said we were working backwards in this text, and that is the case. Discipline pales in comparison to Jesus' suffering. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This word to consider means to reckon or to consider carefully. In fact, it, it implies even, uh, one uh, dictionary says this, to consider by weighing and comparing. By weighing and comparing. So, so really what he's calling us to is, hey, you're going through some trials and through some suffering. Okay, put that over here. 
But, but as you're wrestling with how difficult that is, I want you to weigh that against the suffering of Christ. And when you do, you recognize just right off the bat, immediately we could say, well, none of us have suffered in this struggle against sin to the point of shedding our blood, right? We, we could go beyond that and, and we could recognize that Jesus faced the full wrath of God. We could recognize that, that Jesus took the, the wrath of God on the cross that we deserve. We could say so much more about that, but we don't even need to go to that length. We can just say this, listen, He shed His blood in His suffering against sin. And, and you've never even shed your blood. So, there, there's no comparison here. As, as you're feeling faint-hearted and you're, you're feeling weak about why is God drawing me through this difficult season, just recognize how much Christ suffered for you. Recognize the, the, the pain and the, the judgment of God that fell upon Him. And, and you've not experienced anything worthy of being compared to that. And, and since that's the case, then you must and you can continue to endure. We must endure. Many of us, in conclusion, seem to be going through a challenging season right now. I think if we were to take time and ask each person, for, for many of us, this, these months, these past few months have been some of the most difficult in, in our lives. But please don't miss, as we reflect on the challenges that we face right now, please do not miss that this is God's discipline in our lives. I, I've heard so many people say, you know, I just can't wait for 2020 to get over with. As if 2020 is some kind of unlucky year. No, no, no. Listen, this is the discipline of God that we're going through. God is sovereign. We're not just experiencing a bad year or, or an unlucky year. God is putting His people through this in order to discipline us. Okay? And we need to recognize that. We don't need to flounder and grow faint-hearted and ask, why is He doing that? No, we know why He's doing it. Peter says that judgment begins with the household of God. Jesus is ridding this world of sin and He's starting with His children. He's starting with His people, with the church. He's starting with me and He's starting with you. What is God doing in 2020? Calling us through this suffering. He's calling us through it because He is disciplining us. He's purifying His people. And so we need to join Him in that. We, we don't need to grow faint-hearted and just wish, oh, 2020, just go, go, go on. Kind of like the, parent, the, the child is like, okay, mom, just finish, finish yelling at me so I can get back to doing what I want to do. No, no, no. We need to see what is God teaching us here. He's disciplining us. That, uh, that we are sure of. But what is He teaching us? What is he, what, what is he trying to strengthen within us? What sins are in our heart that he's trying to rid us of that we might be more faithful and more pure and more mature? So, we need to recognize that. We don't need to resist this discipline. We need to join God's work in that. We need to be praying that God would expose our hearts. What's going on in my heart that, that needs this? And we don't need to grow weary. I mean, just look at our numbers, right? This, this is, we're actually doing pretty good for a lot of churches uh, in terms of percentages of, of attendance, right? All over our country, churches are emptying. 
And, and some of that, we, we have some of our senior adults and people who are particularly susceptible to this uh, virus, and, and that's wise and good for them to stay away. But, but there are many people who are just drawing back, right? They're going through a difficult season of discipline, and, and rather than enduring it, rather than seeking to grow in this time and seeking to ask, what is God teaching me in this time? They're just pulling away. And, and if they don't correct that, right, Ultimately, they're going to display they're not children of God. And and they're going to completely fall away. That's a dangerous position to be in. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is warning against. So we need to pray that God would give us the grace not to grow weary. Let me just encourage you. Don't grow weary in this season. Don't grow weary. Endure this discipline because God loves you and He's doing something good in your life through this season. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to You and it is a wonder that we can call You Father. We thank You for this work of discipline that You're putting us through. And this year, there's political turmoil. There are, there's financial turmoil. There, there's a health crisis going on. And God, help us not to be so short-sighted that we just hope this all ends soon without asking, what are you trying to teach us? How are you trying to correct us? God, give us wisdom to to enter into that discipline and to receive it. We pray that through your Holy Spirit for each individual member of this church that that you would expose those sins that we've been holding on to that have been covered up and and that you would help us to cast those aside and to, to endure this time. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.